we are in Aether chapter 2, and we really continue on this whole theme of prayer. And it's so awesome coming from Elder Ballard's conference talk because what an easy thing for us to focus on, upping our prayers and redoubling our efforts, as he said. So verse 1 through 3, they really get to work um, to do what they need to to prepare themselves to meet the Lord down in the valley where he's told them to come. And so they collect fish, they collect birds, they collect, it even tells us they get bees and seeds. And so they're busy doing what the Lord has asked them. And then in verse 4, the Lord meets them. And it tells us that he comes in a cloud um, so that the brother of Jared doesn't see him. But he tells them, directs him from this cloud. And that so reminds me of Moses. And I think it's a great witness to the rest of them that he is a prophet, as Moses is, if they need that witness. Okay, and so then he says, and it comes to and it came to pass they did travel in the wilderness and build barges in which they did cross many waters being directed continually by the hand of the Lord. This was not a one-time thing. So often we think of the story of the brother of Jared and them crossing in the barges like it's a one and done thing. This is not a one-time thing. And this hit me a few years ago going, oh my gosh. No wonder they knew what they needed when they built the barges to cross the sea. No wonder they knew what it was to go without windows, to not have air, to go in darkness and to not be able to see. And those, who knows how long those took, but I promise you it wasn't the year it took for them to cross the sea. And no wonder they knew they had no way to steer. And so just the thought that came to me is, do you ever think that things that happen in your life are for something coming in the future? And um, we have, my husband and I have several times gone through financial hardship. And I remember about the third time of redoing um, a house, gutting a house or redoing it and thinking, okay, this will be a way for us to financially get ahead and to make the house better and losing money on it. And the third time it happened, um, it sold twice and fell through this house we had gutted and redone and really loved, but we were moving to Seattle and we lived in this um, converted barn and there were rats, well, mice and flies and slugs, and I don't want to make it sound awful. I mean, my kids thought it was heaven. We lived, I told my husband to find a place we had come to look, and everything's on top of it, each other, and it's all super expensive. So I said, just find a place. We had, we had just had our sixth. She was probably a few months old, and just find a place that the kids can be outside and run, that they have play, and he did that. And if you were to ask our kids, it's one of their favorite places we ever lived. It was heaven. We lived on five acres. Um, and so what had happened is these people had a home and they converted the barn that was on the property for people to come. They were thinking it would be a bed and breakfast type thing. So the kitchen was literally like a closet because they didn't intend for it to need a kitchen. Um, and truthfully... <laughs> It just was um, not meant to be inhabited very long and um, meant to be an experience more than a home. And I, as we drove up to this house, my husband kept saying, well, it's not that. 
And we'd go, well, thank heavens it's not that. Well, it's not that. Well, thank heavens it's not that. And then we come up to this barn and I go, well, it's definitely not that. And he looks at me and I was like, you're kidding. But for my kids, this was an incredible experience. But I had a nervous breakdown while we were there. And what it boiled down to was I remember just crying and crying and crying. It was days of just crying and not being able to stop crying. And I kept praying, thinking, what have I done that you're not happy with? What are you trying to teach me that I'm not getting? Because I have tried to do everything you have asked. And we lose money again and again and again. And here we have this house that we totally converted in Missouri that the second buyers have backed out. It's sitting there and we're paying all of this money for that and all of this money for a barn in Seattle. And we are losing money every month. And it was just so disheartening for me. And the interesting thing is recently I said to my husband, you know, it's so interesting with we had to take a pay cut with COVID and then my seminary job was gone um, once it hit the end of last year. And not that that's a lot of money, but it's a little bit for me. I just work part time. And I said to my husband, you know, it's interesting. None of that bothers me. The financial losses don't bother me. I know we'll be okay. And don't you feel it's everything we've gone through year after year after year that has made us realize the Lord will provide and we will be all right. And he was like, oh, you're right. And I realized what a huge blessing that had turned out being. Not that I'd ever wish that on anyone and it was really hard and not that I'd want to go back. But I'm so grateful for the faith that that gave me. I remember at one point, as I was crying, the Spirit said to me, if you never have more than this, can you be happy? And and it was such a big thing for me to realize I can. I have this awesome husband. I have these awesome kids. There's food on the table. We are okay. There's a roof over our head. We are okay. And so I just think it's interesting that it mentions, and we so often don't think of this, that they had done this many times, which will lead them to know what to ask the Lord when they get to this journey that he's leading them to that's going to be so much longer and so much harder than these little journeys across these waters that aren't the ocean. Okay, so in 7 it says, The Lord would not suffer that they should stop beyond the sea, but he would that they should keep coming to a land of promise. And I said that in my words. A land choice above all other lands. God has a promised land in mind for us. God has the celestial kingdom in mind for us. He is not going to stop pushing us, driving us, helping us, walking with us until we reach that destination. And we should not be satisfied until we reach the destination. And too often we do rest and think it's enough. It's not enough. There's something so much more that the Lord has in mind for us. Okay, so then it tells us three times the Lord talks about it being a promised land. And in verse 10 it says, This is a land which is choice above all other lands. Wherefore, he that doth possess it shall serve God or be swept off. And when we hear things three times repeated three times, it's the mouth of two or three witnesses. It means it's a complete witness. We have been told. 
And so the lesson is we better serve God. We live in the promised land. So we better serve him and put him first in our life. Okay, and what we get from that is we're free in verse 12, free from bondage and from captivity from all other lands. So they come to this sea. They've done this, and, and I don't know how long it takes. We don't have a timeline. Crossed many waters, done this many times, and they come to the sea. And it tells us they name it, and they stay there for four years. And the interesting thing with that is... That the Lord comes, he comes, the brother, we don't have that the brother of Jared prays to him and says, now what? They're content, they're happy, and probably crossing in these barges that are dark and without steering and without air, they're really happy. They're on the seashore, I love being at the seashore, and so they think it's great. But the Lord comes and it tells us he chastens the brother of Jared for three hours. So there's that three again, and three is complete. It means you've heard and you better listen, you've been told. And he chastens him for not asking. There is more for you. I am leading you to the promised land. This is not it. Don't rest. I have more. And I love that, that we should not be content. There is no resting. God's goal for us and his view for us and where he wants us to end is so much greater than what we view for ourselves. And so there is no resting. Ask him, what next? What would you have me do now? What can I do? And so I love this. It tells us in 15, he prays and it says for his brethren. So again, the brother of Jared is the religious leader. And so I don't know if we would call him the prophet. Maybe he's the prophet, but he is the leader. And I love that he prays, and it's just what Elder Ballard said. You ask, and then you get off your knees, and you work. And so they're told to build these barges. They're given very specific instructions, which we have, and they do it. And then how the brother of Jared has learned in 18, he says, Oh, Lord, we've done that. Now what? What would you have me do? And I love in 19 that he gives these three questions that they've learned from these shorter journeys with these barges. One, we have no light. Two, we have no way to steer. And three, we have no air. And they would not have known what to ask for had they not had these experiences. What a gift that the Lord has led them to know what to ask for because this journey is going to be a year long. And in a, the length of a tree is not very long to be in a barge with your family for a year. So I love that. I always say to the kids, when you go on a trip with your family, what's the longest trip you've taken? How long does it take before you stop? start saying, he's touching me, he's breathing my air, he's looking at me. Can you imagine being in this barge, the length of a tree with your family for a year? That's amazing. Okay, so it tells us in verse 20, the first answer comes. The Lord gives him the answer, but they have to do the work to accomplish it. So the Lord says, drill a hole in the top, drill a hole in the bottom, stop them like with a cork. And you'll know if water comes in that you're under the water and so put it back in. Seems like a great answer. They do exactly what the Lord says. Now what? Again, has the brother of Jared listened? Yes, he goes and says, I've done as you've commanded. Now what do we do about the darkness? 
And I love in these verses, the second answer to prayer is the Lord says, what would you have me to do? So the first way he gives us the answer, but expects us to work to accomplish it. The next way is he says, you come up with the answer. You come to me. You reason it out in your head. You pray and come and ask me, and then I'll tell you if your answer's right or not. So the second one is he lets us figure it out. And I love that. And then he even says in the next verse in 23, after he tells him to pray and ask in 22, or it's in 22, the next answer is 22. 23 is where he says pray and ask. But you can't have windows. They'll be dashed to pieces. And I love that because if you look down in 23, it's Genesis 6, 16, and it tells us Noah had precious stones that shined. So again, Noah had a way for light, not with windows. And I think that's a really cool cross-reference there to look how it talks about the Ark of Noah and how they had light. I had never noticed that before. I think it's so cool. 22 is where he says, I will drive you as a whale in the ocean and you will cross and it will come from, and he does it in 24 too. The winds will come forth from my mouth and I am in charge and I will drive you. And so that last answer is you surrender to the Lord, his will, and you deliver your will up to his and you trust him and you have faith. And there are so many people who have done that. It reminds me of the conference talk with the woman. It was on prayer and answers to prayer. And he gave the example of his son and that they got the coat for his mission. And I should have looked this up and it was too small. It had to go directly to his son's mission in London, England. And it was too small. And he writes his dad and his dad's upset about that. But his son then writes and tells his dad that there's a missionary there supported by a single mother and that the coat was perfect. Man, that made me cry. But I love this last example of delivering your will up to God. And that was the woman who was blind. And if you remember, her nieces and nephews said, why don't you ask God? He can make you see. And just the example of knowing that God is in it. And when she says to her parents, as a little girl going for surgery, she's 12 years old, I think, and going for surgery for that millionth time or how many surgeries it had been. And she says to her parents, know this, I know that God will not heal me. And there is work in this. This is his will for me. And I'm saying that in my words. But it was so touching to me, his examples of answers to prayer. And they go right with the brother of Jared. And I love that. I love that one of the answers to prayer is to just trust God and deliver your will up to him. And that's just beautiful. So I love this whole chapter on prayer and we'll go on with that because tomorrow we'll find out how he answers he goes and he gets the answer and comes to the Lord and asks him if it's the right answer of how to get light and I love that so I just want to bear witness that the Lord is in charge that he is in our life we have to ask him to get answers to prayer or he can't give them and so I would, again, have that discussion. What answers to prayer are you looking for? And what have you done to seek those? Or what answers to prayer have you recently gotten, gotten from him? And which category did it fall in? I love that discussion and how fun it will be to hear what they have to say. I hope you know the church is true. And more than that, I hope you know how much the Lord loves you.